passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors has everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance from superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED headlights, and more. Whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has got you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry. Also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Welcome everyone back to the broadcast. I'm David Woods from Bruin Report Online, the UCLA site on the 24-7 Sports Network. And I am joined on this beautiful Friday morning by an old friend, Brandon Huffman. Brandon, how are you? Hello darkness, mild friend. I've come to walk with you again. It's so good to be back, Dave. It's good to be here. It's good to be anywhere. But it's like old times. It is. We're we're back in the saddle again. I mean, back in the saddle again. It's just like Gene Autry sang. I think Gene Autry. Exactly. He was the one who sang that, correct? Yeah, yeah. He sang it. Some other people sang it, but he definitely did. I should know, you know, considering... Um, former owner of the Angels. You know, the last real World Series won by a Southern California team in a non-bootleg year was won by the... Anaheim Angels in 2002. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, the Dodgers, years the Dodgers only won one more playoff game than the Angels did this year, just so we're keeping track. Yeah, just so we're all clear. Mm-hmm. Just so we all know. That was great. That was a little drive-by for the Dodgers fans <laughs> listening to this. They weren't expecting that. It's the middle. It's it's getting into November. They were not expecting that right now. Um, So we've got a lot to talk about. Um, UCLA is taking on ASU this weekend. We wanted to touch on some recruiting since we have Brandon on. Then we also want to get into some basketball towards the end. I'm sick. I sound like hell. Um, Brandon sounds uh, absolutely golden, uh, like the voice of an angel. Um, but we're gonna we're gonna fight through it. I <coughs> I will blow out your eardrums a few times coughing. Um, all right, let's start, Brandon. Let's start with the game this weekend. Uh, UCLA is uh, seven and one. Uh, they are once again ranked in the top 10 and they are traveling to the great state of Arizona, uh, to take on the Arizona state sun devils in Tempe. Um, just historically, this makes me very nervous just generally, like just, you know, having, having experienced 2005 when UCLA, I think was then eight, no traveled to Tucson to take on, uh, I don't know if they were then three and eight, but a finished three and eight Arizona team led by the great uh, Willie Tuitama. Um, I, I don't, I don't like the feeling I have going into this game. I, I would say that this is one of those games where everybody that's been calling it a trap game was completely accurate. Where you, it, it was like those Ben Hallen years 
where there would always be that one road game against you know Washington or that home game against Washington State that would just sneak up on you that you would try to ignore and think it's a real game, but you are stressed out the entire time because you think it's very losable. And nobody's done a better job of grabbing, you know, grabbing defeat from the jaws of victory quite like UCLA football has over the last 20 years. This is true. This is true. And, you know, looking at this game, I, I, I don't know if I'm, like, concerned that they will lose or if it's just I, I think it's going to be a much closer game than people are predicting. But the big problem for me is um, they are, on paper, a really bad team um, based on what they've done so far this year. They're in that tier with Stanford, um, you know, not quite with Colorado, but definitely in there with Stanford. And so everyone, and I think the reality is probably the team included goes in thinking, well, they're probably a bad team. Um, And... Looking at what they've done in recent weeks, yes, there's the caveat that it's been done against, um, you know, defenseless Washington and then Colorado and Stanford. But with uh, with with the walk-on at quarterback, what are we going with, Bourget or Bourget? I think it's Bourget. Okay. Trenton Bourget. Um, they've looked really good offensively. Uh, he, he gets the ball out super quick. Um you know, he's not like the biggest armed guy in the world, not a super athlete, but he gets the ball out damn quick. Uh, the last time they played an offense where the quarterback gets the ball out damn quick, Bo Nix, uh, it didn't look very good. And I'm not saying Trenton Bourget is Bo Nix, but I don't know if uh, if the pass rush is going to be a big factor in this one. And that makes me nervous about this one becoming a potential shootout. I think what will be really interesting, too, is that, you know, ASU is essentially playing with house money right now. You know, Sean Aguano knows that he's essentially interviewing for the job and another win after beating Washington, after going on the road to beat Colorado, who had their own interim coach. You know, they, they should have beat Stanford. They, they could have been a team playing for bull contention. That Stanford loss is going to knot them for a while. But they're playing with house money. you got a, a walk-on quarterback who has played pretty well. So it's one of those games where... ASU has nothing to lose. UCLA's got a little bit more pressure on. They still have to keep winning out in order to return and, and hope to play in the Pac-12 championship game. So there's more pressure on UCLA than there is on Arizona State. You know, that said, there is no Ricky. What was the guy last year who I think had like 700 yards receiving against UCLA? Pearsall. Ricky Pearsall. Pearsall. He is in, in yeah. Gainesville right now. So at least. Any of those defensive backs who were absolutely obliterated and torched, and I think the one who was for large parts of the game is up in Madison right now, um, <laughs> you know, there's a better chance for UCLA. Remember, two years ago, they went into Tempe, and I want to say they were underdogs, and they beat ASU and, and had that game pretty much. They, they ended up scoring a late touchdown, but were in the lead for the majority of that game. So, granted, it wasn't a hostile environment. There was nobody at the game, but... I think this is it's just this is a sneaky game that UCLA better be prepared for after sitting around all day tomorrow and not take this team lightly because ASU has nothing to lose and this could be the kind of win that you know keeps their head coach from an interim to a permanent. Yeah, I think uh, Aguano already sealed the deal on him uh, getting that job by starting Emory Jones against Stanford. Like, you just got a huge data point, man. Mm-hmm. Uh, Borgay just went and nuked Washington, and he won that game at home. And then you go back and start Jones again. The next game, he sucks. And then Borgay comes back and starts against Colorado and 
you know, beats him pretty good. So, you know, from a decision-making standpoint, that's not great. But um, I think I would be more nervous about this game if it was coming the week before USC. I think there's still enough distance from that game that this road battle won't have, you know, it it won't have as much of that, like, look-ahead feel to it. Um, Whereas I think next week, getting that Arizona game at home is huge. um, Just to prevent a little bit of that look-ahead thing. Um, because, you know, it's going to be, everyone's going to be thinking about, wow, one loss USC versus one loss UCLA, uh, more or less for a berth in the Pac-12 championship game. That's, you know, that's, that's the stuff right there. Um, this being two weeks before that is, uh, you know, hopefully better from a mindset standpoint. Um, and, you know, I would say the thing with like UCLA teams past, um, I don't know how much limitation there is going to be on the offense from like a focus perspective. It's just too good. Mm-hmm. Like I, the letdown for me would be on the defensive side um, where if guys aren't, you know, if their head's not in the game, you know, ASU could torch them. But I, I, I guess the, the, the thing for me this entire year is I don't see UCLA losing, like going back to that 2005 analogy. If they lose this game, it's going to be like 45, 42. Yes. Um, I don't see it being 52-14 or something ridiculous like that. This offense is just too good. Um, defensively, they might allow any team to score a lot of points eventually. Um, and Arizona State is, you know, strong enough uh, comparatively with Borgay in there that I think they could. But I don't know. I think I think it's going to be a closer game. I don't think it's going to be an 11-point or a 10.5-point game like uh, the, the odds makers have it, but... I still have UCLA winning. I think UCLA wins by <coughs> seven, but it's going to be an uncomfortable seven. It'll be, I'm not saying it's going to be like the South Alabama game, but it wouldn't surprise me if this game ended up like the South Alabama game. Ooh. Where you kind of know UCLA is still going to find a way to win, but for 59 minutes and 55 seconds, there's that BBS creeping in and that doubt creeping in. Like, how are they not going to win this? Yeah. If they blow them out, that'll be really cool, too. Mm-hmm. I think I would appreciate that more than anything. I Because I'm sick. I'm sick. I don't want to stay up that late. I don't want to have to be thinking that hard at, like, 11 p.m. See, so. I'm, I'm excited, Dave. I have been to a college game at least six different Saturdays this year. I have been to high school games, multiple high school games on those same Saturdays. I have not had a Saturday where I had no game. It's nice they're starting to the playoffs up here. There's a couple teams that are playing on Saturday, but I've already seen them. And I'll probably see him again. So Saturday will be the first day where from start to finish, I don't have to leave my house for a game of any sort. I'll have my multiple TVs set up. And how, how excited are you for that huge clash at 1230? You know, that Titanic struggle between Colorado and Oregon. I cannot wait. I mean, that will be the big screen. I will have Georgia, Tennessee off to the, the 25 entry to the side. Um, I, I cannot wait to see what Colorado... I think they're going to combine to score 90 points. I think 83 <laughs> of them might be Oregon's, but I do think it's going to be a high-scoring affair between those two. It'll be tons of fun. Well, I'm happy for you. I think that'll be a fun Saturday then. Yeah, um, big day. Yeah, big day, big day. I have to do... I mean, I, taking everyone behind the curtain, I have snack duty for AYSO, oh. and it's the early morning game. It's the 845. So I got to be up and there by like 8.15. Brutal. Mm, I'm, brutal. I'm sorry, man. 
yeah, not good. Not good. But I'm going to fight through it. I'm going to fight through it because that's what we do hey, here. The, the games that remember are the AYSO games in November. That's true. That's true. That's true. And my my six-year-old is crushing it. Crushing it. Um, she can she can sort of dribble now. <laughs> um, all right. So uh, game, we'll see. Um, while we have you on, though, Brandon, we got to talk a little bit at UCLA football recruiting. Um, obviously seven, one, uh, top 10, uh, I've seen a little bit of momentum in terms of commitments over the last couple of weeks. Um, what's your take on how the, uh, start of this season has impacted high school football recruiting? Well, for one thing, I am excited of the fact that they're actually recruiting high schoolers again. That's so much more fun to cover than transfer portal recruiting. Um, I know it's, it's a crazy concept to think that you could still recruit both. You can recruit the portal and you can recruit high school, but a little bit of momentum. Earlier this week, we did a, a piece on Bro that was the next five most likely to commit. And one of the key numbers in there was that of the five that are on that, four are players that didn't get an offer until their senior season. And they're in a good spot with four of those guys to land their commitments, or at least three of them, maybe a fourth. And it just goes to show you that when you recruit high schoolers and then you actually recruit them, a lot of times you're going to be able to get them. So that's... Wait, 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 wait. Are you saying that UCLA, if they recruit high school players, they have a pretty good chance of landing them? I would say they have a very good chance of landing them if they actually don't just offer and then run away. If you offer, follow up, recruit, then you have a chance. Have you written this down? I, I may have mentioned it once or 17 times on on Bro. Um, you know, speaking of Jaden Daniels, I remember going back to that spring of 2018 before Chip had even coached the game. And the lack of, what's the word, temerity in which they recruited quarterbacks in Jaden Daniels. And maybe it all worked out. But all that to say that sometimes when you follow up and you push for a recruit, like Ken Norton has done with pretty much all of his main targets then you, a lot of times, can end up with those guys being a part of your recruiting class. It's crazy. I know. I, I Stunning. I know. It, it was only like there were 16 years of, of data prior to Chip Kelly that said, I've been covering UCLA recruiting, that it it's shown to be the case. But, yeah, it's weird what happens when you recruit high school kids. They sometimes you know like to be recruited. And believe it or not, folks and coaches and whoever else is listening, not every kid wants an NIL deal. A lot. I mean, of course, every kid wants an NIL deal. I should rephrase that. Not every kid, their entire decision is going to be based on if they get an NIL deal. You can recruit a kid, and you might still get him even if you don't offer NIL money. You can't just assume every kid, oh, he wants NIL. We're not going to recruit him. I think what you know that that's been the crutch for this year. That wasn't necessarily the crutch in recent years. In recent years, it was like oh, just a lot of effort, but. Yeah, there's a lot of data points that are backing up. Schools can recruit the transfer portal and high school at the same time and have success. Pretty crazy. Mm -hmm. Pretty crazy. Um, So let's get your uh, evals of the three most recent commits they've gotten. Um, Whichever order you want to take them, Malafu, uh, O'Connor, and Jones. Yeah, so I'll start off with with Malafu just as he was the most recent this is a guy that I'm really eager to see how he plays in college. You know, he comes from the island of Kauai. So when we think Hawaii football, a lot of times it's based on Honolulu, the St. Louis, the, the Punahos, Kamehameha, even up to the Kahuku kids. 
And the kids that are from the Outer Islands don't necessarily get the same recruiting attention. I got to see him in January up at an event at North Shore. He flew from Kauai to Honolulu just so he could go to this camp for a couple hours. Saw him again at National Prep. Saw him at about four camps this spring. And every time you saw him, you could see he was a competitor. He had great size, great range. He's just over, you know, overlooked being that he's on an outer island. But he's a top three player in the state of Hawaii in the 23 class. Um, a guy that I think his best football is going to be played in college as he continues to, you know, just get more opportunities. Um, and and I, love, I love this pickup. I think that, you know, Cal's offense has been absolutely atrocious over the last few years. But they've done a good job of early IDing and evaluating defensive guys and they were one of the first schools to offer him uh got him in for an official visit i like this pickup for ucla i think he is you know really good i think he's got the opportunity to be an, an edge he could you know come off the edge the pass rusher he can drop into coverage but i think there's a lot of positional versatility with him okay we love it i'm here to make people happy hey you know i appreciate that about you i appreciate that about you um <coughs> All right, so you did the story this week on um, the five next most likely to commit uh, to UCLA. Um, run through those guys. One guy I'm particularly intrigued by is McClure. Um, what's what's your read on him and uh, if and when he commits? So I think that there is going to still be a little bit more drama with him. And what I mean that doesn't mean that he's, you know, a diva. I just think there's going to be a couple visits taken before he makes a commitment. Um, I know Arizona got the official from him in June. Uh, he is, Washington is still recruiting him. I think he wants to take a couple visits before. Uh, and, you know, with Modern Day Catholic, they have a bye this weekend. They start the playoffs next week. He probably won't start taking visits until December. So I think there might still be some twists and turns, but I know UCLA still wants him. Um, they pretty much backed off recruiting Malachi Riley from Corona Centennial, um, who's had a little bit of an up-and-down season himself. So I think McClure is still a key target for UCLA, but it doesn't seem like this one's going to end soon. There still might be a couple more twists and turns there with visits for him before he makes a decision, but I still kind of like where UCLA's sitting with him. So the, the interesting thing is, right now, UCLA has nine commitments. Um, you did that story on the five most likely to commit. I think it was like, you know, three months ago, four months ago, we were talking about it. Are they even going to get to double digits in uh, high school recruits this cycle? Is it going to be, you know, more than half transfer portal? Now it looks like, you know, they're probably going to have at least half the class be high school guys, right? And, and, so, and, and that's, again, like... How many times have you, have I, have Tracy said it in the past, when and they'll come? Like, that's where I think it gets a little bit maddening if you're a UCLA recruiting fan, that if there had been some more effort in recruiting some of these guys, and maybe, you know, I, I got to say that there is the caveat that for years we've been bemoaning the fact that UCLA didn't do spring official visits. Then they finally do spring official visits, and their hit rate was horrible. So you're almost like, okay, well, they did what we asked. And this is for you, KP Bruin, because I know he's always there to, to support us and you know argue every recruiting point we make, which is he brings up salient points at times. But yes, it was good that UCLA brought in recruits in May for official visits. But then the hit rate wasn't great on them. Then they end up having a, a really good season, at least to this point, where maybe you should have done more official visits in the fall. But with the recruiting calendar speeding up, you kind of had to adjust to those spring visits. But there were guys that, that aren't committed anywhere right now that maybe if they had been a little bit more just 
energy. A Caleb Lomu, you know, is one. You know, not to say they would have had a chance at Spencer Fauna, but there, there's some guys that if they had ramped it up a lot more in the spring and into the summer, they could have withstood the the offseason, then gotten into the fall, and this season might have done more to wow them. Um, but I do think they're going to get into the teens when it comes. I mean, if they get three of the five on this list, they'll be at a dozen. There'll be another one or two guys late that they'll add. Um, I think they'll end up with probably 14, 15 commits. But it does leave you to wonder, like, hey, if you could have parlayed some of the success with these guys coming off an eight-win season and then a little bit more aggressive recruiting in that offseason, then you have a big 2022 season. Maybe this class ends up a little bit bigger. Yeah, and so from a size perspective, obviously it's going to be a, a, a little bit bigger than we were expecting from a high school perspective. But um, do you think they should have stretched more um, with – you know, they're top 10 now. They've won seven of their first eight. You know, certainly got a lot of national pub. Do you think they should be stretching more right now to try to get back into recruitments of, you know, higher ranked guys or, um, you know, kicking the tires on guys who are committed elsewhere? Um, what's your take on that? See, I, I, it's kind of 40-60. I'd say yes, but, like, if you look at some of the guys that, that they, they still recruited, they're not going to get Deuce Robinson. They're not going to get Spencer Fano, Caleb Lamu. You know, Roger Pleasant is probably going to be a long shot. Jire Hill, where I really think that they should be ramping it up is the 24s. The fact that they've only offered a handful of 2024s since September 1st coming off this season, because you always see your bump with your successful season in the ensuing class. Not so much nowadays, especially with so many guys committing in May and June and July, where I think that they've kind of squandered an opportunity is they should be offering the hell out of the 2024 class with the guys that they've offered or, or with the guys they haven't offered or start offering some of the 2025s. You know, uh, as UCLA is a Big Ten school in 24 and 25, they've offered the least amount of players in the 24 and the 25 class of any Big Ten school. So that's where you should be be targeting that chips right at the ship. Okay, he's, he's gotten things to where he wants to be. Now there's more stability with 24 and 25 recruiting. So offer those guys. I think with 23, you're just, you're, it's so far down the road with those guys. And with players making decisions earlier and earlier, you're not going to get into it with a lot of these guys that they had offered early on. But you could get ahead of it with the 24s and the 25s. And that's where I think they're kind of squandering the opportunity. So here's my whole thing on next season was always that they were going to have to hit the transfer portal really hard because they needed to replace um, a lot of key guys if they were going to try to maintain a similar quality of play on the field. Your sense of like strategically how they're looking at, I don't know how many, how many scholarships they're still going to keep, you know, on hand for transfers and how they're, I don't know, perceiving, I, I guess their roster for literally the immediate future for next season. I think, you know, there, there's going to be, you know, remember the, the 25 counter rule too is, is no longer, in play, you have 85 scholarships total. So for the next two years, they could sign as many as they want. They they could sign as many as little as they want in the high school ranks, and you know as long as they stay under the 85 threshold. But right. I, I think you're right. I think they're going to have to hit the portal hard. I mean, losing Roger Robinson hurts them because he would have been a nice complimentary replacement for Zach Charbonnet, but. I think to think he would have been Zach Charbonnet in year one was going to be a stretch. So they were going to hit the portal hard for a running back regardless. You know, and, and as some posters on Bro pointed out earlier this week, 
Ethan Young followed Tank Bigsby, the running back at Auburn, shortly after Auburn head coach Brian Harson was fired. And, you know, Tank Bigsby went into the portal for a very brief uh, time last winter. He's probably going to go to the NFL this year. He's draft eligible. But they're going to still hit the portal hard, I think, at, at key positions. What, what I find interesting is how much they relied on the portal at linebacker in the last few years, um, or even the JUCOs with Caleb Johnson and Mitchell, uh, uh, Mitchell Gude, that this year they realized, oh my gosh, we need depth at linebacker. We need young depth. So there's been more of a shift in focus. They, they've got some DBs. So I think it's going to, you know, this class is going to be light on offensive linemen, which means the portal is going to be every offensive lineman that goes in the portal, there's going to be tire kicking with those guys. Yeah, and that totally makes sense. And, you know, looking at it offensively, it's not just Charbonnet. I mean, I think they need to – they obviously – well, I won't say obviously. I think it's obvious that they need a quarterback. Um, I don't think Ethan Garbers is the answer next year if they want to be really, really good. Um, I don't think Justin Martin is ready. So I think if they're going to be um, – you know, if they still want to be a eight- or nine-win team next year, they probably need to get a quarterback too. Mm-hmm. And then on top of that, I mean, Jake Bobo's done after this year. Um, is there another guy on this roster who looks like a number one receiver next year? And if there isn't, then, well, you probably need to go do that again, too. So, and then, there's just... And a- that's the thing. There could be some guys. Like, the, the, the one thing, you know, and I'm not at liberty to discuss a lot of these names, but, like, I hear from 7-on-7 seven seven coaches. I hear from high school coaches. I know guys that are taking redshirt years at schools right now after not playing with coaching changes are going to be available and likely hitting the portal. There, there's players in Southern California right now that UCLA had recruited that are not at UCLA, but now are redshirting that the tires could be kicked back with those guys. I mean, there, there's a lot of players follow. We used to say in recruiting in Twitter, follow the follows now follow the red shirts with more and more guys transferring interconference and across, you know, interleague. I mean, Jermaine Burton starts for Georgia in the national championship against Alabama and then transfers to Alabama. You know, all bets are off anymore. So there's going to be some guys that maybe were productive their first two years. A new coach comes in and now they're not really fitting into their plans because they brought in transfers of their own. That could be available. You can read between the lines however you want, but... There are, there are definitely going to be some transfers that are be very attractive to UCLA and vice versa. And I guess the question is how – this is just kind of a curiosity question and, and obviously not getting specific about anyone. How aware are, you know, recruiting staffs of those situations? How, how, how much time do they have to spend on that during the season, like starting to evaluate – you know, player personnel guys, how, how how much are they evaluating the rosters of opposing teams to see who might be available when the transfer market opens? Oh, they are. And, and that's where, you know, websites like 24-7 are not, you know, pumping our guys up just for, for needless reasons. But like a website like 24-7 comes in handy because while they may not be in the NCAA transfer portal, you know, they might be in the 24-7 portal as intending to to transfer. So maybe they don't have the, the, the spreadsheet the database that the NCA is normally providing for the portal, but there's kind of an unofficial portal that's listing the names of the guys that intend to go into the portal after December, I think it's like 14th or so, um, when the portal reopens for non-grad transfers. So like Tyler Manoa, he's a grad transfer. So that's why he's getting offers right now. It's why he can take some visits. He's already graduated. But, you know, let's say just for, for let's say David Woods was a sophomore. 
and he's unhappy with let's say it let's say it you know but he he's he might have tweeted his cute graphic and instagram posts about how he thanks everybody's but after much prayer and consideration respect his decision to leave all right he's not in the official ncaa transfer portal but he's on an unofficial one and those are the ones that these coaches are monitoring and watching because they're trying to get ahead of it now they may follow they may not reach out on instagram they may not reach out on twitter but i guarantee you that they are you know in communications with third parties to say all schools are doing this not i'm not saying that one school is doing it, but i think all schools are doing that just making sure that that thing's warm so when it's allowed to heat up in december boom hey remember we texted you two months ago about your guy that showed you we want him so the second he becomes portal eligible boom that school's right there in front of him right and that makes total sense um and i'm sure it's changing all the time with um how much consternation was there yesterday uh brandon when that uh dennis dodd thing came out about the transfer portal and the the way that was the way that directive from the uh ncaa was worded was there a lot of consternation in uh, in in player personnel departments? There was. There, I, I think the the problem is is that the NCAA seems so powerless at times that when they try to change the language, when they try to you know clarify what they're saying, now these guys are forced to look for the loophole. How can we get around this rule? It's not. Oh no, we can't recruit. We can't do this. This all our work's going to fail. It's like what creative way can we now use to get around this? Right. That makes sense. Um, All right. Let's take a quick break, and then we're going to come back with some hot basketball talk. Be back in a minute. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Check out our new NBA show, Beyond the Arc, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network, where you can find me, John Gonzalez, NBA insider Bill Ryder, and Ashley Nicole Moss, five days a week talking all things NBA. Whether you're looking for insightful discussions, upbeat commentary, breaking news, interviews or coverage of all the biggest stories in the nba our new show is the place to be five days a week download and follow beyond the arc on apple podcasts spotify and wherever you get your favorite podcasts all right brandon we're going to talk about your one true love um basketball you excited for it i am you know since we all know that the greatest player in ucla basketball history is from ventura county that's very true very true, um, Brandon. Um, did you did you watch UCLA's exhibition against Concordia? I did, and as a you know, a person who uh, is a big fan of baseball, I was working at a brewery on Wednesday night when my daughter had an event. I had the World Series on in front of me, but I had the Pac-12 Network open to watch a little hoop action, and uh, I, I got to say, you know, there was a reason for a bona to be in that play in that game. <laughs> have, we, have you have you and Tracy used that one yet? I'm sure that's the first time it's ever been used. Yes, right? con- constantly, and I can't actually laugh right now. Otherwise, there would have been a more um, significant chuckle. So that's why it was just kind of a. <laughs> 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 um, 
Yeah, so I think that's let's start there because that was the big takeaway from that game was uh, Dembona. Um, you know, we'd we'd heard all the hype, all the like, you know, wow, his athleticism is on another level and the whole thing, and then you watch him and it's like, wow, his athleticism is on another level, uh, and it's it's stunning to behold. Um, what stands out though is not just the athleticism, but the enthusiasm. Uh, you know, the infectious uh, energy that he plays with, you know, big smile on his face the entire game. Um, and, you know, you can only take so much from going against Concordia. I don't even know if they had a true post, um, but he was uh, five blocks. That goaltend should have been a block, but he just got so high that I think the refs got confused. Um, moves like a cat. Um, Flows like a hot. I don't know. Yeah, I, I don't know, man. I mean, can't remember the last time they had a guy who looked like that. So I, I was texting with uh, a buddy during the game, and we, the way we were discussing it was, obviously he's a lot taller, but it was it was not unlike Luke Richard and Bob Mute. Now, obviously, Luke didn't come in with nearly the platitudes that Bona did, but it was kind of one of those like, oh my gosh, this guy's a weapon. Like... Remember, it was early on in, in Luke's freshman <laughs> season where you're kind of like, "Hey guys, this you said I might have got something special here." You know, he he's kind of he's kind of good, and obviously he became the glue guy on three Final Four teams. Um, now imagine him being what five inches taller, four inches, five inches taller, and with a more refined offensive game, but with that same defensive stuff where you kind of like all the t- attention and all the talk had been on Amari Bailey, but. You know, maybe this guy is kind of that linchpin, and you know, I thought that was actually kind of a, an interesting. And you, you know, you can disagree, and everybody can disagree because they're different body types. But more like there wasn't an understanding of just how good this guy really could be until that exhibition game, and then you're kind of like, oh, uh, they might be onto something here. Yeah, I would be shocked from like an impact on the game standpoint if they're very similar, and I think the way they. Because I would also describe Luke's movement sometimes as cat-like. Um, I think they move around the floor kind of similarly, which is an insane thing to say because Bone is a whole lot bigger. Um, but Bone has got the explosion, too. Like, that that explosive vertical, that's something that Luke never had, really. Um, I, 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 Yeah, I mean, sure, he, he has some of the better qualities of Luke. Um, but I, I just don't have a good comp for him. I mean, he's, he's just kind of a freak athlete they haven't had. <coughs> um, the other guy uh, who I got my first real eyeballs on, uh, at least in a college uniform, Amari Bailey. Um, you know, I wasn't I, – I think a lot of people were maybe expecting a little bit too much. I wasn't too down on him after that game. I thought um, he got where he wanted to be, um, just didn't finish. You know, he missed a lot of shots. But aside from that, I don't know. Looks like a really good athlete. Um you know, he, he showed a willingness to pass. He wasn't, like, out there doing the Jalen Hands, Chris Wilkes thing where he's just shooting every time he touches the ball. Um, so I think there's a lot – even from that game where he didn't shoot well, I thought there was a lot of positives to take away from it. And the reality is he's going to play better than that, uh, and he's going to shoot better than that going forward. Um, so I liked him. It's just I think when you're comparing him to Bona just jumps off the screen. Yes. Because you're seeing this guy who's a freak. So Bailey – who's, you know, a five-star phenom in his own right, he doesn't jump off the screen the same way that Bona does. But um, compare him to 
compared to Peyton Watson, um, Bailey looks far more ready. Um, you know, his, his handle is, is ready. Um, his ability to get where he wants on the floor is ready. Physically, he's a lot more ready than Peyton Watson was at this point last year. So, um, I would, I would be, I would be pretty optimistic about his, um, potential this year, even just based on what we all saw the other night. Um, I don't know. What other takeaways did you have from that game? Did you see anything else that jumped out to you? I mean, yeah, I think you wrote this up really well in your analysis is, you know, seeing Jaime Jaquez play like he did is got to be encouraging yeah. for, for Mick Cronin. And it's got to be discouraging for the rest of the Pac-12 because, you know, he is so good when he's healthy. I mean, he was good when he wasn't healthy, but he's so good when he's healthy. And then just, you know, Tiger Campbell, like it. I don't think you can accentuate just how important he is. And when he's hungry, when he's angry, it's like Angry Tiger makes that team just tick along and trug along so much better. And, you know, obviously they're not going to tip their hand and, and show too much in, a, in an exhibition game. But you, you see a guy who's salty and pissed off about how the waste of the season ended last year you, with, with, with Jaime, with, with Tiger. And I, I think this team is going to be really good. I, I want to say it, it's going to kind of be like the 2017 where, you know, there was, well, they lost Jordan Farmar, you know, there were a flaw that just kind of said, get on this, get on my back. I'm going to take this team. I think they lost Farmar. They lost Bozeman. They lost um, Ryan Holland and, you know, some, some key guys, but then a flaw came in and, you know, Collison was outstanding that year. A flaw was a Pac-12 player of the year, Pac-10 player of the year. I see a lot of similarities to the 07. Like, okay, yeah, there might have been some personnel losses, but this team might be better and might be more complete throughout the season thanks to the key parts we have coming back, the key health of some guys, that this team might end up being sneaky better than the top 10 ranking that they've been given. Yeah, I, I think there's certainly a possibility of that. Um, you know, Or they I, could I suck and lose in the first round. I have a hard time seeing that. I mean, I think they're going to gel in a lot of ways. I think the team we watched the other night is already. Um, you got to figure that Jaime and, and Tiger are going to play quite a bit better defense than they played in that game. <coughs> so, I mean, I, I think the team will be in pretty good shape in November and December. And then uh, potentially, you know, as we've seen over the years with Cronin now, uh, rounding into some really elite form by February. Um I would say, like, two issues that I, I think are, you know, varying degrees of concerning is, one, who's going to be the backup post? And two, um, who's going to shoot? Um, and so, first one is, you know, Adembona, yeah, he looks like a freak. He should be able to play 20 to 25 a game. But who's playing the other 15 to 20? And right now, it's Nuuba, who, you know... That's one where I don't want to take too much from the exhibition because he looked he looked about the same as he always did in that exhibition, just a little bit thinner. Um, and so hopefully he's ready to play a little bit or Mac Etienne comes back and is completely ready when he comes back. But that's a concern. Um, what are they going to do at the backup five? <coughs> and then um, from a shooting perspective, because Bailey is a freshman who's not known as a shooter, and because Jalen Clark is not known as a shooter, so much is going to depend on Jaime and Tiger really, really, really significantly increasing their usage, significantly increasing their shooting. Um, 
And I just don't know how that's going to look. I don't know what kind of drop-off, and there will be a drop-off, but what kind of drop-off there will be in efficiency from those two players um, when they drastically increase their volume. Um, but those are probably the two concerns, is offensive roles and who's shooting, and then who that backup post is. Um, but those were things we knew coming into the season. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't think those are big shockers. And I think the the reality is it's a significantly more athletic team than last year. Um, they returned two potential All-Americans. They have two elite five-star freshmen. Um, there's a lot of things to like about this team and its potential for this year. I think the the having a – it's like a quarterback. When you have an experienced point guard who can affect the game like he does, that makes a huge difference. And I think that's why – you know, there's a lot of reasons to be optimistic about this season. Yeah, absolutely. Um, <coughs> all right, I'm gonna I'm gonna stop talking now, and we're gonna stop this podcast because I'm uh, clearly approaching death. <laughs> so these will be the last words I share with all of you out there. Um, it's been a hell of a ride, on, Dave. Keep on trucking. Don't stop believing. Um, beat on boats against the current. Uh, born back ceaselessly into the past. All right. Well, Brandon, it's been lovely talking to you. It's been real. Um, Thank you. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for filling in for Tracy. And uh, everyone out there, we will talk to you again next time. It's the most wonderful time of the year. Fantasy baseball draft season is upon us, which means you need to listen to Fantasy Baseball Today, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. Join Scott White, Chris Towers, and me, Frank Stample, six times per week throughout March. Sleepers, breakouts, busts, live mock drafts, spring training updates, and everything in between every Monday through Saturday. Make sure to download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and everywhere else podcasts are found.